Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, following one brother's death and her twin brother's capture, Jaina Solo promises to take vengeance against the Yuzhan Vong. But will Jaina's friends and family find themselves as collateral damage to her wrath? It's Dark Journey by Lane Cunningham. And joining me to talk about the book today is my buddy Scott Thompson. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Hello, Aaron. Excited to be here for my second book, Raring to Go. Well, it's great to have you back. Uh, But first, listener, if you haven't had a chance to check out last week's special pop-up roundtable episode where all six of us talked about the first half of the new Jedi Order series, do yourself a favor and check that out. I had a really fun time on that show, Scott. Did you enjoy yourself? I really did. And I don't know how you had any fun because you had to keep us all corralled and make sure we stayed on task. I don't know if your listeners know, but the the guests that Aaron has, you know, for this for this project here with the, the New Jedi Order, we've been friends online, some of us for seven, eight years, some, you know, a little more recent, but we're 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 friends. And so getting together and talking is I'll take that excuse anytime, right? And uh when it's to talk about these books we're all enjoying at the same time. Yeah, it was it was a real pleasure. And uh, I thought you did really a masterful job of kind of keeping us going and, and through it when we get distracted pretty easily. Well, I think one of the things that actually helped out, and this is a look behind the curtain, listeners, we usually do these book chats over Google Meet. It's just one-on-one, and sometimes these chat sessions can go on for an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes. For some reason, when we had six of us on, Google Meet put a time limit on it, and it was at one hour. So it started popping up. You have 10 minutes left. You have five minutes left. So it actually made it a little easier keeping the conversation flowing as we neared that deadline. And wouldn't you know it, we hit it with two seconds to spare. Justin said the last thing that he said, and then I went to say goodbye, and the thing just cut off on my screen. It was I wondered not there. If, I, I wondered if your goodbye made it. It yeah, did not. It okay. did not. I think I got the good part out, and then that was it. So I ended up, <laughs> when I went back to edit, I just cut that part off, and I just stopped where where Justin right. finished talking. Right. Well, yeah, it was it was a blast, and thanks for doing it. I, I think I made a stink months ago that I wanted to be talking with all of you guys about this stuff and, and you made it happen. So thanks. Thanks for doing that at my, uh, at my urging. Well, you're quite welcome, Scott. And listeners, if you don't know, not only is Scott and Matt reading the new Jedi order books here with us, but you guys are reading the King Killer Chronicles for your podcast, Davos Fingers, as well as trying to keep up with anything A Song of Ice and Fire related. How are you guys able to keep up with all that reading, Scott? Yeah, um, you know, I mean, lots of people read more than we do, right? That we're not we're not victims here, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. So it's not as hard as as you make it out to be. But yeah, it's a, it's quite a bit of reading. Uh, King Killer Chronicles by Pat Rothfuss is a great series. If, uh, if it's, it's high fantasy, uh, it's some of the best quality writing and fantasy that I've ever, that I've ever read. The Name of the Wind is up there as one of my favorite books ever. Um, if you're interested, check it out. You can check out the Davos Fingers podcast. 
that name Davos Fingers comes from covering the Song of Ice and Fire. So yeah, we haven't done a reread of a Song of Ice and Fire in a while, but uh, we actually just kicked one off this this year to kind of go back through it. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of reading those those series. And then you know we're doing kind of one to two books a month here with your schedule. So it's uh it's a lot, but it's been fun. You know I'm not going to complain. I love reading. Well, thanks again for agreeing to join the group talking about the New Jedi Order. Before we dive into Dark Journey today, it's listener question time. Today's question comes from Buddy, and it's about Jason Solo. Fortunate that you're on today's episode, Scott. A question about your favorite character so far in the New Jedi Order series. Buddy says, I've never finished the New Jedi Order, and I've enjoyed following it along with you. When I was 16, my family and I went to Disney in Orlando. I think it was the original Star Tours ride where it leads to a gift shop at the end. I decided to get a Star Wars novel, which was Force Heretic Part 1, and I had no idea what was going on. I just picked it up because the cover was cool. My question, what are your thoughts on Jason Solo's more philosophical views of the Force? Personally, I'm leaning towards Jason's views. Well, Scott, this one's right up your alley. What do you think about Jason's views on the Force? <laughs> Man, I, I do love me some Jason. Um, you know, to 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 go back to, you know, like Mafia references or The Godfather, Jason would be a wonderful peacetime consigliere, right? But we're at war here. Uh, He's so, Tom. He's basically Tom. Yeah, right, essentially. I think his views, you know, as the series progresses, could be something that really propel the Jedi forward in the future uh, toward a better understanding of the Force, a deeper embrace of, of maybe what it means. You know, he talks <clears throat> with Luke earlier in the New Jedi Order about, about the way the Jedi are being trained, right? The approach that they're taking uh, and how he feels it should be a personal relationship with the Force, not a generic one. Um, it's, a, it's a very different voice than a lot of the Jedi in this series, that really just see the Force as a tool. Anakin kind of did, but was kind of growing out of that a little bit with Mara's help. You know, in this book, we see Jaina very much treats it like a tool, but she's in a little bit of a weird space. Kipped her on for sure, uses it however he wants to. So the problem is that they're just not really in a place to receive his message right now. You know, the, the prequels talk about the struggles of the Jedi as peacekeepers and not soldiers, but for where this story is right now, they kind of need soldiers. And it's been hard for Jason to find that right balance here. And it's been fascinating to read. If they can just get through this blasted war, though, yeah, it feels to me like Jason's philosophical approach could really provide some meaningful growth for the Order as a whole. they got to survive first, but I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. I like all three solo children. Jaina is my favorite character of the three. Now... As far as Jason goes in the New Jedi Order, I appreciate what you're saying. I do enjoy some of the philosophical debates. I think they get repetitious, personally. I kind of wish they toned it down just a little. But I do appreciate what Jason is trying to say to the Jedi. Sometimes I don't think he makes his point in a way that is helpful to the discussion. Yeah. And sometimes I think Jason debates his decisions within his own mind to the point where he almost freezes. Like he 
can't take any action and it's yeah. almost like inaction is his action it's very circular sometimes right right and, yeah and it, and it does freeze them and that, that's kind of what i mean about they need action right now they don't have weeks to sit in a trance and figure this stuff out and yeah you're right it it, it hurts them but i do appreciate his point of view particularly in those first couple debates that he and anakin would have way back in vector prime the first book yeah i agree and uh i think sometimes he comes off pretty elitist and snobby about it oh look at the hoity-toity solo kid that's better than all of us making all these profound points just do your job man you know do your job in another time and with the state of the galaxy in a different place you could possibly see Luke at Jason's age having the same debate within him with himself that Jason yeah. does here in this. I do think Luke and Jason are similar. Their personalities are similar. Yeah. Yeah. I, you wonder if, if Luke almost, I don't think they've really called this out, but you wonder if Luke almost envies Jason a little bit to be, I mean, they're not in a great place to do it right this instant with the Vong, the Yuzon Vong. Sorry, I don't want to insult any Vong out there. Um, you wonder if Luke kind of envies him a little bit, that he, at his age, maybe can look at it through a different lens other than I'm the only Jedi and i got to kill Vader now, or the Emperor, right? Um, yeah, it's a good point. Thanks for the email, buddy. Now, listener, if you have a question for the show, like Buddy, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com, or you can send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, you can record an audio question and email it in. Just please help me out and record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Stay tuned for the end of the show, where we have another email from a listener who disagrees with something that Jay and I talked about a few episodes ago. We'll get their opinion later in the show. Stay tuned for that. Now it's time for today's book, Dark Journey by Elaine Cunningham. Scott, are you ready? <laughs> if I'm not, is Jana going to strike me down with Force Lightning? Maybe. <laughs> let's go. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins where Star by Star ended. Anakin Solo is dead. Jason has been captured. And Jaina pilots Nominor's own ship away from Merkur, with several Jedi companions. The importance of having the twins together for sacrifice is paramount to the Yuzon Vong. Savong La orders the priest Harar to capture Jaina and ensure the Solo twins are sacrificed. The Warmaster's own son, Kali La, agrees to accompany Harar on this mission. The escape from the Yuzon Vong is not easy for Jaina and the surviving members of the Jedi Strike Team. Despite immense grief at her brother's recent death and at having to abandon Jason, Jaina quickly takes control of the situation assigning roles to the nine remaining Jedi on the unfamiliar ship and claiming the pilot seat for herself. As soon as they figure out how, they jump directly to Coruscant. Jaina's friend Zek has grave concerns for Jaina. She tapped into the dark side of the Force on the world ship, and she's still giving signs of leaning that way. Zek confronts Jaina, but she pushes his concern away, a theme we will see continue throughout Dark Journey. Meanwhile, in the skies over Coruscant, Kip Duran and his fighter squadron battle the Yuzhan Vong invasion as Republic ships flee the planet. It doesn't go well for Kip, 
he loses every single pilot under his command to desertion or death. He doesn't have long to reflect, though, as the Millennium Falcon and Jaina's Vong ship emerge in the same space, completely by coincidence. Jaina does her best to zig and zag without firing on the New Republic ships, while the Jedi try to figure out where to jump to. Han and Leia recognize that Jaina is flying the Vong craft and convince the New Republic ships to allow the Jedi to jump to hyperspace. Leia believes the Jedi will seek refuge on Hapes, so she charts a course of her own to the cluster. Meanwhile, in Chiss space, Colonel Jagged Fell convinces his father to give him scant resources for reconnaissance work that might let them get back into the war. Jag fears the Chiss could be next on the Yuzon Vong's list, and it's beyond time for them to act. Jag and his second-in-command, Sean Kerr, start at Ithor and quickly conclude, somehow, that Hapes will be an immediate target for the Yuzhan Vong. They head there to warn them and to gain more eyes for their data collection mission. Indeed, Jaina and her crew, including Tenel Ka, the daughter and heir to the throne of Hapes, have escaped to the cluster. Even though Anakin and Jason were involved in the destruction of half the Hapen fleet, thousands of lives, and despite the fact that the world itself is currently bound by political issues of its own. A queen that has devolved to a husk, barely capable of making decisions. En route to Hapes, Jaina and Lobaka stumble onto a theory that each Yuzhan Vong ship has a unique gravitic signature that they use to identify each other and navigate amongst each other. This theory is proved in the next chapter. Kali Law confesses that the war coordinators have been tracking the movements of all Yuzhan Vong ships via the Dovin Basal's recognition of these gravitic signatures, and they know precisely where Anaminor's stolen ship is. As Jaina and the Jedi emerge into Hapen space, they are ambushed by pirates. They send Tanel Ka, a native of Hapes, down to her planet in an escape pod, while they hide out in the system. After ejecting Tanel Ka, the Jedi survive a brief space battle with the pirates and commandeer the communication device of one of the disabled ships to reach out to Hapes, express their intent to land, and ask about Tanel Ka's status. Lobaka has also figured out how to track the unique gravitic signatures of Vong ships, and in so doing, realizes that Tanelka has been captured. As she's brought on to one of the pirate ships, Tanelka senses the loss of Jason in the Force. He's gone. As the Jedi chase after Tanelka, Jaina and Lobaka make two important discoveries. First, there's a villip aboard that she can use to communicate directly with Warmaster Savang La. And second, they discover how to block their ship from sending transmissions back to a Yamask. They will receive information, but not transmit any from the ship she now calls the Trickster. They close in on the pirate ship when the Jedi feel Jason's death, but Jaina senses it through the emotions of others. Her grief and anger block her ability to sense her twin brother. The realization crushes Jaina, but she forces herself to focus on rescuing Tanel Ka, who they track to a Haven frigate. When Jaina suggests using Force Lightning to disable the ship, the Jedi look at her like she is crazy. Instead, she mentally commands the Vong ship to breach the hull. It works, sealing the two ships airtight together. The Jedi overpower the pirates on the Hapen frigate, rescue Tanel Ka, and set their sights on Hapes once again. The Jedi land on Hapes and transport Anakin's body off the ship. Jaina meets with her parents, telling them she felt Jason's death. But Leia refutes her daughter. Jason is alive. Jaina is confused by her mother. 
How can someone so Force-sensitive not feel what everyone else does? Jaina departs the group and seeks solitude in the royal palace. She's stopped by Ta'a Chum, who invites her to a royal dinner and asks if Jaina wants revenge for her brothers. She infers that if Jaina wants resources for that revenge, she should play the political game at dinner and keep her mind open to possibilities. At that dinner, Jaina and Jag flirt at the table before rising to sneak away while others dance. But their escape is thwarted by Ta'a Chum, who needs Jaina's time. She reinforces Tenennial Joe's poor health, indicating that someone new will be needed to marry a soldier and take the throne. Jaina assumes that Ta'a Chum's target is her mother, Leia, a previous option for a soldier's hand in marriage. Jaina disabuses her of that notion, and Ta'a Chum again reminds her to keep her own options open. Jaina tries to return to the party, but this time she's stopped by Kip, who insists that she attend Anakin's funeral. The funeral goes without incident, with many remarking on how Anakin had saved their lives. Kip himself, perhaps, gives the best turn of phrase. Anakin's life continues to flow outward, touching and guiding those who have yet to hear his name. Most of us here use the Force. This young man embodied it. They burn Anakin's body and all that's left are goodbyes, as most of the remaining Jedi are leaving with Luke and Mara, while Jaina will remain behind with Kip. She's considering becoming his apprentice. Tanelka visits her mother, who reconfirms that she has no desire to go against her heart and take the Hapen throne. Tenennial Joe gives her daughter a ring with a hollow cube inside, insisting that whomever Isolder chooses to rule is shown the information that it contains. Tanelka then makes her way to the shipyards where she encounters Ta'achum and her father. They're discussing Tenennial's inability to rule effectively. Ta'achum ends the discussion by indicating that if Isolder's daughter won't rule, and if he can't find another wife, the choice will be taken from him. It becomes clear to Tanelka that Ta'achum is subtly pushing Isolder toward Jaina Solo as his future queen. Back on the trickster, Jaina and Lobaka work on how to control Yuzhan Vong communication techniques. Jaina thinks she can modify the coral implants used to control Yuzhan Vong's slaves to both alter their personalities and instructions, and also to keep them from communicating back to a host. She procures help from Ta'a Chum in the form of access to a captured Vong slave. Together with Tanelka, Lobaka, and Kip, she heads to the Hapen world of Galanor, whose scientists are more adept at manipulating biological technology. Jag heads to the Solo's tent among the Hapen refugees and stumbles into a brawl. Han is fighting three assailants dressed in Hapen garb. Jag stuns one and helps Han fight off the others, but Han is in rough shape. Further, a pile of priceless treasure that does not belong to the Solos sits in their tent. Han can't remember much of anything, and Leia is convinced that Ta'a Chum is once again trying to woo her to be Isolder's new wife. Jag suggests that perhaps they goaded Han into the brawl in hopes they could kill him and make it look like an accident, removing him from the equation. After Jag informs Leia about Jaina's departure to Galanor, she asks him to make sure that Jaina knows that she and Han are going to join Luke and that she trusts Jaina to find her way back. The trip to Galanor passes with no trouble, and with a little accord being reached between Jaina and Kip, about the Jedi needing to be more active in the war effort. 
and they make the trip with their unconscious prisoner from Ta'a Chum stowed away. Through a series of highly morally questionable and illegal moves, they subject their stowaway to the experimentation of a scientist that provides them with key information about the slave implants. Primarily, that the implants send microscopic offspring into the different parts of an organism, presumably so that they can, the implant can control the entire host. Jaina is convinced that she can modify these implants to do what she wants, using them to send gravitic signals from ships implanted with chips that Lobaka designed to mimic the implants. Now all she needs is a way to get those chips onto the enemy vessels and pilots willing to take the risk. Jaina's plan is off and running, leveraging Wookiee technicians to create more chips and pilots that have been persuaded into participating. Jaina deliberately sends Hapen ships into danger to get them to implant their coral test chips with the goal of getting them to lose contact completely with a Yamask. The mission is successful, and the next step in her plan is to send more Hapen ships up as decoys to confuse the Yuzhan Vong. Kip is furious and demands that she stop risking the lives of the pilots like this, demanding to fly the mission himself. Jag sees the encounter and is concerned about Jaina's drift to the dark side, almost sensing her grief. He attempts to relate with the loss of his own two siblings, but Jaina is in no mood to hear it. Jag switches tactics, this time trying to tactfully brush her away from Isolder's incoming proposal, without mentioning it directly. Jaina again takes offense and storms off, leaving Jag in stunned silence. Back in orbit, Jaina executes her plan, planting ten seeds that replicate the gravitic signature of the trickster. The ensuing battle is a mess for the Yuzhan Vong ships, as they turn this way and that, focusing their fire on whichever ship is broadcasting that signature at the time. The small victory is so complete and convincing that Priest Harar orders a hasty retreat without any explanation for how the Jedi is manipulating the battle, her ship slicing in and about the battlefield, an uncatchable prey. The compliments and laughs flow when Jaina and her pilots land, Jagfell noting that he would gladly call her commander. The team celebrate the victory with dancing, but Jagfell is noticeably absent. After the victory, Ta'a Chum finally tells Jaina that she wants the young Jedi to marry her son and be the queen of the Hapes Consortium. To no one's surprise, Jaina isn't interested. Ta'a Chum asks her to at least consider it. Jaina agrees, but not really. She does wonder, though, just how far Ta'a Chum will go to get what she wants. After talking to the queen mother, Jaina decides to meditate. She has a vision where she kills a version of Jason masquerading as Darth Vader before Kip pulls her out of it. They have a heart-to-heart about Jaina's journey. With her coming to terms about having crossed many lines without acknowledging it, though admitting she was going to continue forward with her plan. She had to for the lives at stake. Then she was hit with a vision of Jag, imprisoned in the lower levels. Her connection to Jag had grown unbeknownst to her, and it was strong enough that she could sense him through the Force. They rescue Jag quickly, and he says that he believes Tenennial Joe is in danger. Jaina and Kip race to the royal apartment and find Tenel Ka kneeling beside her mother's body. She's been poisoned. Tenel Ka displays the holocube the queen had given her, and it displays five starships secretly built. She gives their command to Jag Fell. They make their way to the throne room where Ta'a Chum is presiding over a room full of commotion about who will be in power with Tenennial Joe's death. 
Tanelka ceases any speculation by walking right over and kneeling for the crown from her father. Ta-Chum's hopes for a Jaina puppeteering session seem to be over. Jaina, Tanelka, and the other pilots race to battle stations as the Yuzhan Vong begin their attack. Jag takes command of the Haven Navy, and Jaina slips into her Vong frigate. She touches the dark side and slips into battle, letting the force direct her. But it isn't long before her movements are automatic, feeling one with the ship, almost like her lightsaber. And from there, she finds herself in another vision of her battle with Darth Vader. But this time, it's Kip in the suit. He glows with the Force, and she can feel Kip's growth, his journey out of the darkness and back to the light. Jaina knows that she helped bring Kip there, and that perhaps he can help bring her back as well. Slowly, Jaina feels herself clawing out of the darkness and back toward the light side of the Force. The story ends as the battle rages over Hapes. Jaina's ship is caught by a tractor beam until Kip causes a distraction to free her destroying his own ship. Kip ejects and goes extravehicular. Jaina rescues him and returns to Hapes. After the battle, and Kip recovers, the two pack up to leave and head back to the Jedi base. Kip says he wants to start a new Jedi Council, and Jaina considers continuing her current path in the resistance to the Yuzhan Vong as the trickster. Time for a break. When we return, Scott and I will talk more about Dark Journey, what worked for us and what didn't. Spoiler listener, we have some issues with this book. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. And if you're a fan who'd like to meet other Legends buffs, you can check out Legends Con this September 9th and 10th in Burbank, California. LegendsCon is a fan-run convention focused on celebrating the books, comics, games, and other media from the old Star Wars Expanded Universe. And it's hosted by the Legends Consortium, a fan-run organization that wants to bring together fans to celebrate Legends in a positive environment. It will feature vendors, artists, and authors from the old EU, including special guests, Randy Stradley, Matthew Stover, Karina Bechko, Sean Stewart, Barbara Hambly, and Abel G. Pena. LegendsCon is open to all ages and will be held September 9th and 10th, 2023 at the Marriott Convention Center in Burbank, California. Proceeds from the event will be donated to the Peter Mayhew Foundation. Tickets are on sale now through Eventbrite, and you can provide additional support through Kickstarter or coffee.com. For more information on LegendsCon, visit legends-con.com. Check out at legends underscore con on Twitter and Instagram or at Legends Consortium on Facebook and Tumblr. Once again, that's LegendsCon, coming September 9th and 10th in Burbank, California. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Today, Scott and I are talking about Dark Journey by Elaine Cunningham, book number 10 in the New Jedi Order series. Listener, I think you could probably tell 
by the beginning of the show that this was not my favorite book. I'm pretty sure it's not Scott's favorite book of the New Jedi Order series to this part. Personally, I think this is the weakest book in the series. It hurts me to say that because Jaina Solo is one of my favorite characters in all of Legends. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some good things in this book. Let's just get our opening opinions out of the way. Scott, what is it about this book that doesn't really work for you? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm mixed about the book. Like, on the one hand, like, you can really tell Elaine, the author, is trying to do some real character work here with Jaina. And most of it, most of that really does work for me. But I, I it's it's something about the way the technology slash love story slash court intrigue slash war goings on converge that feels very muddled and almost it almost undercuts the character growth and, and development for me it's it's a very slow build on a lot of these little plot lines and then feels like it just runs off a cliff very quickly at the end to me you know the the, the understanding about the dark side happens very fast for Jaina right in one scene she's struggling with it all book and it's like oh okay realization um the, the, the realization she's, she's the target of the marriage plot. Slow, 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 and then she's just told, right? Uh, the space battle itself finishes really abruptly and, and doesn't even use the technology that they've spent all book talking about. Or at least, at least they, don't, they don't tell you they do. Maybe they are. We just don't know. The love story sounds like it gets a little to be continued, maybe, with that conversation between Kip and, and uh, Jagfell at the end, where Kip kind of spurs him on a little bit, maybe. Uh, so I hope you some more of it uh, because the courtship of Jaina would make an excellent book. But it feels it feels very much like I don't know how these things work, but it feels like she was contracted for three hundred pages. She wrote two two fifty or two sixty. Was like, better hurry up and finish it. Wrap all this stuff up. Um, it, it felt very hurried and and not not fluidly put together to me. In defense of the author and in defense of this book against my own criticisms. I think this book has a difficult job to do. Agreed. We just came off of Star by Star, which is the midway point of the New Jedi Order, and it's the lowest. It is the lowest point of the saga for our heroes. And think of how many things happened in that book. Anakin is killed. Jason is lost behind enemy lines Coruscant falls at the end and you want to talk about abrupt that's done pretty abruptly at the end of Star by Star because the main plot is obviously the Jedi strike team going to Merker and this book understandably is about the other solo child and how Jaina has to come to terms with everything that happened previously there are some ways where I think that is pretty effective in this book. I like the premise of the book, of Jaina turning to her grief, to her anger, and turning to the dark side for a while. I'm just not sure there's much in this book that shows Jaina struggling with what happened to her brothers in the previous book. Yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to to the way uh, you you put it there at the beginning. This book has a hard job to do. 
right? And I think it's made harder by who Jaina is, right? Jaina doesn't deal with what happened to her brothers because that's not how Jaina works. Jaina's very pragmatic, very direct, you know, do the things that are in front of you, what's next on the list, keep moving forward, do the job. And so, and, and so you, it, it, you know, like if this book were about Jason dealing with his grief, we'd have 300 pages of him sitting on a log pining about stuff. But Jane is a doer, right? She's, she's not going to sit and wallow. And I think Elaine does a really good job, actually, of, of showing that grief through the way she treats others very abruptly and angrily. Um, she's very short with everyone. Um, and so I think they handle that well. It's a tough lift because you're, you're having to show a character in grief mode that doesn't really probably grieve much. She's a doer. And this is her way of doing it. And climbing to the mind of someone like that is it's a tough job. Sure. And like you said, at the end, when Jaina realizes where her actions are taking her, and like you said, it, it just kind of, there's a switch that flips very quickly that Jaina says, yeah, I've been indulging in the dark side of the force. I'm not really sure it shows her go through the thought process of why she was doing that, what the repercussions could be, and why she needs for her own salvation, not just for the people around her, but for her own salvation, why she needs to turn away from that. I'm not really sure we get that in this book. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the scene where she's talking with Kip, um, and she acknowledges, like, I've crossed a lot of lines. I've done a lot of things here that are probably not okay. She even says, I'm going to keep doing them. And she does in the final space battle. She just dives full on into the dark side of the force, right? And uses it to, to be a part of this battle. And, you know, and then she kind of has that moment, right? But, you know, she, she's come to terms with it. She's doing it and, and chooses to keep going, you know, in the, in the scene before it. So, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. You're right. We don't get... We don't get a lot of processing to get there. It's just like she gets there. I'm not saying I need a lot of it because you are correct. Jaina is a character of action. She is a character that is very much like her father. But I see some of her mother's characteristics in Jaina as well. And I'm not saying I need 20 pages of Jason sitting on a log contemplating the results of your actions or of his actions. But I do think you need like a couple paragraphs. Jaina doesn't have to be tremendously introspective to stop, take a beat and have a few thoughts about what she's doing. Yeah. And this is the fourth time I've read this book. I don't see it in there. Yeah. There's, there's the moment after she kind of, I'll say storms away from Leia and Han shortly after arriving on Hades. And uh, she's she goes to the royal palace, right? To kind of like, you, I, you get the sense she's going to go sit on a log and think about this stuff. Because realistically, by then, she hasn't really had much time. She's been harried every second since. Yeah, and the so escape you, from Merker goes to Coruscant. Oh, as soon as she gets there, holy crap, Savon La has, is attacking the planet. Now right. I have to get away from Coruscant. Right, and then and then they're ambushed, and so there's there's no there's barely any time for her to breathe at any point. So I think I'm like, all right, here she goes. She's gonna go sit on that log and do some thinking, 
uh, and really grieve. And and then she's interrupted before she can do any of it by Ta'achum for this other plot point. And maybe that's part of what I meant by like the way these stories intertwine doesn't it doesn't flow well for me. It's not fluid, right? And it maybe that was intentional for Melaine because it kind of goes with Jaina's character that she would just she just have to be moving on to the next thing. And so does this book. Move on to the next thing. Some of the other characters in the book, Leia, Zek, Tanel Ka, they all talk to Jaina about the way she's acting, about processing her grief and her anger, that what she's doing is dangerous. But they seem confident that if they just give Jaina space, she'll turn away from her dark path on her own. The only person in the book that continually warns Jaina about the path she's on is Kip Duran. Why do you think that is? Because personally, I think this is one of Kip's better moments, not only in the New Jedi Order series, but in all of Legends. I think this book is actually paints Kip in a pretty favorable light. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, so your listeners probably, if they remember from before, I don't have a ton of, ex- almost no, experience in, in the Legends uh, novels. And so my experience with Kip is this series and didn't like him from the get-go. Um, still don't really like him, but you can see, I think maybe he sees Jaina a little bit as a kindred spirit. Um, we know that Zek uh, has has been basically tortured and put through the dark side a little bit, right? It seems like, I don't know, again, I don't know really the past, but he was young and probably manipulated and and pushed down that road. Kip came to it on his own, made a huge blunder from the context clues I've gotten by reading this series, which led to the death of a whole planet, if I remember right. And millions, yes. Millions he destroyed Kip destroyed a planet when he was a late teenager. Yeah. Yes. And so so maybe he didn't come to it quite as on his on his own as I thought, but you know, Jane is a late teenager, right? And so he maybe sees her journey is, is somewhat similar and is worried about it. And, you know, I don't know about redemption. I don't know if I believe in redemption exactly, but uh, might see this as a way for him to do something right by somebody else to, to save them from making the same mistakes he has. Right? And so maybe that's the, the why reason you ask. Why is he the one that kind of is there over and over about it? In my opinion, Jaina's trip to Galanor, those two chapters are just confusing to read. I think there's some information missing in that section, or maybe there were parts that were edited out. I understood what the plan was, but I did not follow the sequence of events. And it was almost like as Jaina and Kip are wiping the memories of the people they encounter in Galanor, the reader's memory is almost being wiped as though they don't remember seeing those words because I went back, those words aren't there that would kind of explain what is going on. Yeah. But that's me. Did, did you understand what was happening in those chapters? No. So I, I'm with you. Um, it feels like, you know, the intent is to use this prisoner that they've commandeered, right, and, and learn about, you know, these slave devices and, and, and then the end manipulate them. 
So I think we understand the end point. But how they get there, very confusing. It says one time this is her third time navigating the halls and scanning the thing to get in the room. We only saw it happen twice, so what did they even do on the third time? Maybe that was getting the prisoner there, and then they wiped them out. I don't know. It's it's one of the things that really doesn't seem like good storytelling to me. And I wonder if it was like, you know, you watch those shows sometimes where it's like they're trying to jump through back and forth through time to be like a unique way to tell the story. And all it does is kind of confuse you. I feel like maybe she just got a little too clever for herself trying to tell this part of the story. Um, it felt like she was building into like something she was going to reveal later. This terrible thing kept mentions that they had to do. And I kept expecting to hear something ter- like they murdered people or something. But I think they're just referring to the fact that they forced a person to be experimented on, which is obviously terrible. But the way she set it up made it seem the way Kip talks about it made it seem unforgivable. Like they're, they should be executed. Maybe they should, but um, you know, really bad. And I think they did a, she did a pretty poor job of going through it. So, for this reading of the New Jedi Order and for this endeavor here for the podcast, I learned about some short stories that were published back at the time that I never knew existed. One of the short stories is called The Apprentice. It's also by Elaine Cunningham. And it takes place during the time we are speaking about, that trip to Galanor. It's about 10 or 11 pages long. It fills in a few gaps in that time, but I still don't think it adequately describes whatever it was they were doing. Maybe it's just one of those things, you know, every once in a while, as a reader, you just don't understand something that the author is trying to tell you. And it may not be the author's fault. It may be your comprehending of what you're reading. And maybe that is, that's what it is for me. But that section of the book as many times as I'll read it, I just do not understand what's going on. Well, if you get to know me better, Aaron, you'll know that it's never my fault. Um, I've been in this one on a lane. Uh, no, it's a good point. It's a good point, right? Um, you know, maybe we're missing something. I would be interested in, in reading that that part about uh, The Apprentice. Um, you know, I, th- I think Kip, for his part... You know, we've seen him do something at the very beginning of this book where he used the Force in a very aggressive way that resulted in the death of two of his pilots. And so I think he's, through this book, there's a little mini journey for him where he's kind of realizing he maybe needs to change his methods. And this, toward the very end of this book, as he's been trying to work toward changing some of those methods, is a step again back for him to doing something that really he should not be doing. So it's like, okay, I agreed to help you, but I feel bad about this. So I think it was getting his thoughts in the middle of that Galenor section was interesting. So this entire discussion doesn't stay negative all, all the time. <laughs> Let's look at a few, a few of the things that I really do enjoy coming out of this book. One of the things that you spoke about, Scott, during our roundtable last week was you wanted to see how the military advances that the New Republic figured out at the end of Star by Star, namely Danny Kui and Master Silgao, figuring out how to block the Yamask's communication in battle, how that would, if the New Republic would use that going forward and how that would, you know, take place. Well, in this book, we have another military advancement. Jaina and Lobaka have figured out how to send misinformation to the Yamask. 
How do you think these two things could affect the war going forward in the series? Yeah, <clears throat> this is one of the most more fascinating parts of, of this series to me so far, is that we have these foreign invaders coming from a very, 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 very far place, and the technologies are so different from each other that the two parties can't, I mean, on the Yuzhan Vong side, they refuse, for the most part, to even engage with that technology. They won't even touch it. We see our Jedi here kind of embracing it and learning about it and, and studying it. Um, but it's it's fascinating to watch them try to kind of see who can stay ahead, right, in this in this race of, of arms in very real time. So yeah, I, I really I really enjoy that part. It feels like Danny Kui's, uh discovery was really about having a mosque and then sending signals to to confuse. This is about implanting something in individual organisms that confuse their own signal, which is is interesting. We'll see where it goes. I I feel like this war is going to be won by somebody who comes up with a technological advancement that the other side can't counter before it's too late. And I don't know what that'll look like, but I'm excited to see. There are moments in this book toward the beginning where various characters get these weird sensations, very intense sensations in the force, and they feel Jason in these sensations. You have Tanel Ka feeling an incredible pain for a split second, and then it's gone. You have Jaina at one point feeling some sort of pain to her gut. She sees Jason in her mind's eye, and then it's gone. And then, of course, all of the Jedi together just feel Jason's force energy go out all at the same time. Now, Jaina doesn't feel that. I take that as the dark side masking her ability to sense the emotions that she normally would sense as a Jedi. But she comes to understand that Jason's life force has winked out. What's interesting is Leia says it didn't happen. Is this a grieving mother who knows she just lost her other child and in such a short span of time refuses to believe that she has lost a second child? Or is there something going on where Leia is the only one that can tell that Jason isn't dead. Yeah. So first of all, I agree with you about the dark side kind of uh, muting Jane's ability to kind of hear him, hear him, right, and feel it. She, she, she learns of it, you know, through the transitive property of mathematics, right? Um, they all know it, and so I know it. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it's just Leia being a grieving mother. For those that don't know, Leia is my favorite Star Wars character. Um, one of the things I've really enjoyed about this series is maybe they do it throughout legends. I don't know, but they really kind of focus on the fact that different Jedi are good at different parts of using the force. Some of them are more empathic and Leia, I think from what we know of her fits that bill. She has a very deep sense of feeling in the force, moving things, maybe not convincing people, maybe not, 
you know, whatever, but she can feel to a great degree. She's very powerful in that way. And add in the fact that it's her son, and uh, I think she just knows. I remember reading this for the first time, and I think I always had that feeling. I think I never thought that Jason was dead. And if he was, I didn't think they would give the reader that information off page. As you've said before, if you don't see the body on the page, then the person is not dead. I don't think many readers believe Jason dies in that moment where the Jedi feel his life force go out. Even when I read it the first time, I thought, is this something we're going to get for a couple books? That we're just going to get these fleeting feelings of Jason. Now, spoiler alert, it doesn't. But that's what I thought going into this book, coming out of, or I should say coming out of this book. That we were going to get this until we learned what happened to him. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't wait to learn what happened to him. Um, I I thought the same thing about Anakin and I was wrong, right? But I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of plot points around Jason that need to be resolved, even from the user on Vong's side. They're in control of his fate and destiny at this point. And we've heard over and over and over again how important the twins component is and how that sacrifice needs to be done. And them just, you know, killing him or torturing him to death or something like that. It never made sense to me. So in addition to just believing Leia, because I do and I love her, uh, I also think the Yuuzhan Vong don't want that for him. What was your favorite part of the book? I like the idea of the technology. I had trouble following it sometimes. I like the idea of the romance, and I liked watching Jag and, and Jaina flirt in their weird way. Um, in in some way, I'm not even sure they knew they were flirting. No. I don't think they knew they were flirting at all. No, in some version of the summary I sent, it says something like that. Like they don't know they're doing it, but they are. I can tell. Um, but I like that. It also shows a little bit Jaina's the dark side thing because she's so, like, she's so negative to him that it almost it feels like an embodiment of that of that shift to the dark side. Even, um. I, I mean, it's it's a really surfacey answer. I think Lobaka is my favorite part. So I've never read anything with Loi in it, uh, and he became one of my favorite characters in this book, just through his exuberance at finding answers to problems and his his brain and his sense of humor and how close he is with Jaina and supportive. Um, I'll just go with Lobaka. He's my favorite part. Last question I have: Are Kip and Jaina? actually master and apprentice was there ever clarification if Jaina accepted an apprenticeship from kip in this book they kept saying stuff like if you were to be my apprentice this is what happened would happen and then Jaina would say well if i'm going to be your apprentice these are my terms for being your apprentice i'm not really sure at the end coming out of it is she actually is his apprentice? I, I I don't know. And what does Mara have to say about it? There's one line in there where she looks at Kip and says, my apprentice, right? And gets a little defensive, but we don't get any sense of, of any of that. Um, it was one of the disappointing things to me is that 
Mara and Jaina feel like they have a, a very close relationship. And they walked right past each other and didn't say a thing. And never, we didn't get anything between them. So to answer your question directly, I don't think it's explicitly stated. I'm hopeful that that's not going to be the case and that Kip is really going to go do what he says. And that's probably not where Jaina wants to be anyway. So, Well, before we wrap up, I received a very nice email from listener Robin talking about a listener question that I answered a few episodes back, back when uh, Jay was on the show. Quick recap of that email. It was from a listener who disagreed with my opinion that the fall of the Brotherhood of Darkness in the Legends Darth Bane trilogy doesn't add up with canon. My reasoning was because George Lucas said in an interview that the ancient Sith cannibalized themselves. Robin has a different opinion. Scott, will you please read Robin's email? Yeah, yeah, I will. Robin says, I agree that modern Sith would be unable to do it, but the Sith from Darth Bane's timeline are different. First, most of the big leaders of the Brotherhood of Darkness are former fallen Jedi, so there's a lot more of a gray mentality working here. These Sith, while still evil, feel a lot more human, are less dedicated to consuming hate, and use more military powers than the dark side. That is the main reason Darth Bane was born, he wanted the Sith highly concentrated and not watered down in many people. Modern Sith like Darth Maul get a training from hell that makes them more of a slave to the dark side than people with human connections. Thank you very much for the email, Robin. I like your thoughts. I think the version of how the Brotherhood of Darkness fell in Legends and how Darth Bane rose to power in Legends and implemented the Rule of Two is more interesting than what George says the canon version is. You make some excellent points, and if this works for you, Robin, great. I'll never tell someone that their headcanon is wrong. Whatever you believe is what you believe. But for me, when it comes to Star Wars, George Lucas is the architect of the story, and whatever George says, if that's how he says it happened, then that's how it happened, even if I prefer something else. Thank you very much for the email, Robin. If you or anyone else has an opinion about something that I've talked about on the show, or if you have a question for me, email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Thanks for joining me again today, Scott. This book may not have been one of our favorites, but I still really enjoyed the discussion. Always. Yeah. Talking with, talking with you is a blast. Talking about Star Wars anytime. Loved it. If the listeners would like to contact you or if they want to check out the Davos Fingers podcast, how can they do that? We're on Twitter. Uh, that sinking ship that is Twitter, uh, at Davos Fingers. We're on Blue Sky, too. You can find us at davosfingers.bluesky.social, whatever the thing is. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, too. You can send us an email at wearedavosfingers uh, at gmail.com. But uh, you can, if you really want to get interested in our podcast, just, just find us on Twitter. At Davos Fingers. Coming up on the next episode, Cat returns to the show. We'll talk about Rebel Dream by Aaron Alston, where our heroes finally decide to take the fight to the Yuzhan Vong. Join us for that episode coming up on September 1st. Thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, 
there's always a bit of truth in legends.